This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Even when God is preparing to do a great thing in our life, we might say, you know, I'm not even hearing from God anymore. My, my prayers don't seem like they're going beyond the ceiling. I haven't heard that still small voice of God. I don't sense even His presence. But as you continue to press on into God, as you continue to trust Him, God is going to be working, I believe, even a greater work in our lives. But the enemy is trying to stumble that up and trying to short-circuit that. As Pastor David continues taking us through the book of Romans, we will learn that just as God tested Abraham's faith, the Lord will test our faith as well. When God tests our faith, we become more dependent on Him rather than on ourselves. When Peter kept his eyes focused on Jesus, he had faith to walk on water. But as soon as Peter took his focus off the Lord and focused on the storm, he began to sink. We must have faith in God's character and keep our eyes fixed on Him. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verse 1, for the conclusion of our message entitled, Abraham Believed God. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then, of course, he answers it with the negative. Well, certainly not. Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Well, God forbid. Again, he answers it in the negative. Romans 8.31, he says, What shall we say then, or say to these things? And the answer is with a positive. He says, If God be for us, who can be against us? In Romans 9.14, he says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, again, he answers in the negative. Certainly not. And then Romans 9.30, What shall we say then? And then he gives this positive declaration that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have now obtained righteousness, and even the righteousness which is of faith. So he gives all these declarations, he brings it about, he makes his stand, what shall we say then? And he brings this question to us in verse 1. What shall we say then? That Abraham our father has found according to the flesh. And so he's asking this question, what has Abraham found according to the flesh? Abraham, our father, according to the flesh. And I'm stumbling on this because even in the very version that I read it in, the New King James Version, the declaration you don't know of when he says according to the flesh, is he dealing about the fact that he's our father according to the flesh or what he has found according to the flesh? Some of you might have King James Version this morning. And the King James Version takes the same verse and says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? Now that still sounds to me like, what has he found according to the flesh? And that's not what he's saying here. But it's confusing the way that it's phrased. We look at another version, the New American Standard Bible. And it says, what then shall we say that Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, has found? Now, that's a little bit clearer that it's Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, that he's our father, according to the flesh, that he's found. But, you know what, I I give a hard time to those who uh, have the New International Version, and I tease you and say that it's the NIV, the nearly inspired version, but... The truth is, the NIV gets it right on the money on this one. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? 
the flesh is not what he's speaking of here. So the NIV just kind of pulls that stumbling block out, and I don't necessarily agree with the fact of just pulling words out that were written. But it makes clear what Paul is saying. What has Abraham, our forefather, discovered about this matter? It has nothing about him being in flesh. No, he was our forefather according to the flesh. And the thing that he discovered and the thing that we see is this whole process of faith and not works. And so the question I have to you this morning is, do we have or do you have works that are based on faith or do you have faith that's based on works? You're going, well, don't they say the same thing? No, they don't. And that's what you need to understand, and that's what you need to see. Works based on faith or faith based on works. I hope this morning that the one that you do have and the way that it ought to be is is that you have a works based on faith and not a faith based on works. And what I'm saying on this is there are many within the church, and I'm speaking here of the church visible all those that would come and be a part of any church anywhere. There are many, in fact, uh, I would say there are multitudes that come to the church visible and their faith is based on their works. In other words, because I go to church, because I support the church, because I do good deeds, because I've done this, because I've gone through ceremony, I've gone through the ritual, then therefore... I have a relationship with God. Their faith is based on their works. But what Paul is trying to hammer in here and continue to deliver to us is, no, the works that we do on the outside need to be based on faith. Faith needs to come first. It's faith in the completed work of Christ that then determines the kind of work, the direction of work, the kind of life, the direction of our life that we live. We don't flip them around. We cannot flip them around. The basis of it all is on faith. And from that comes our life. That's why we can look there in verse 3 where Paul declared that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham believed God. All that he had gone through, all that he had seen, and yet God makes this declaration to him, and Abraham believed God. And so suddenly, boom, he was stamped as righteous. Now you are righteous. Why? Because you believe what I'm speaking to you. You believe my declaration. I want to look for a while in Genesis chapter 15. If you've got Old Testament there with you, look in Genesis chapter 15. The story of Abraham is such a a powerful declaration of the grace and the power and the might of God. In Genesis chapter 15, in order to get all of the life of Abraham, we would have to go well before Genesis chapter 15. We'd have to go to the end of chapter 11. Genesis 15 starts and says, after these things, and Again, whenever you're reading through your Bible, you see a therefore or after these things. You need to see what it's speaking about. After what things? You remember it was Abraham who lived in Ur of the Chaldees in Babylon. Far, far away from anything about God. As a matter of fact, 
Ur of the Chaldees was a pagan culture. He was absolutely, completely surrounded by this pagan culture. There was nothing within the culture of Ur of the Chaldees, so far as any archaeologist or any of those who study ancient times could ever see, that there was anything that spoke about the Jehovah God of Israel. Nothing at all, but it was a completely and totally pagan culture. And yet, in the midst of that pagan culture, God comes to this one individual. It says, Abram. His name at that point was Abram. God had not changed it yet. He says, Abram, come and follow me. I'm going to show you a land you have not seen. I'm going to take you to a place you've never been before, and I'm going to bless you. Abram, you need to separate yourself from the culture that you are so deeply embedded in and come and follow me. You've got to trust me in that. You need to leave that culture behind and come forward. And some of you in your faith in Christ, you know exactly what that calling was, exactly what that direction was. So Abram came and came into the land of Canaan. He brought with him his nephew Lot. And you know the situation with Lot, that in the process of both of their herds growing, their need to get more uh, help and uh, hired servants with them, that the servants of Abram and the servants of Lot began to, to battle with each other. But Abram believed that God was working and moving in their lives. So he very easily was able to come to Lot and say, Lot, you choose for yourself what you need to do, but we need to separate. You look around, and if you want to go down in the valley, you go down in the valley, and I'll stay in the mountain. If you want to stay in the mountain, I'll go down in the valley. Because Abraham, I believe, at that point even, believed God, and he was willing to trust God, whether he was in the valley or whether he was on the mountain. And Lot chose the valley. And you know the story how as he chose the valley, he moved into the area of Sodom and Gomorrah and got sucked up into that culture there in Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram stayed there in the mountain areas and God continued to bless him because Abram believed God. When the kings came and they invaded Sodom and Gomorrah and took Lot and his family and all the people from Sodom off as prisoners... Abram also believed God that he would be able to take his servants and go after these other kings. And so he was able to take his men, go into battle with these other kings, be able to defeat them, to bring back all of the people without losing any. Remember the king of Sodom came up to Abram and he said, Listen, I so appreciate what you've done, so you take what you need here from the provisions, just give me my people back. Abram says, No. I'll not take anything that man gives me. I'll not trust in anything of the flesh. I give it all, and all the glory goes back to my God. And it says that he even gave a tithe to Melchizedek, the the priest of Salem at that point in time. Because, again, he was honoring God. He was believing God at that point in time in his life. Now we get to chapter 15 here, and it says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. In a vision saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, this man of faith, this Abram, we see him at this time. We might say questioning God, but more than anything, he was asking a question of God. And I feel that there's a difference. You can question God 
or you can ask a question of God. I think at this point in time, he's asking a question of God. In verse 2, he says, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Abram saying, You say that I'm going to have great descendants. You say that you're going to bless me, but I have no child at all. And at this point in time, Abram was about 86 years old. I don't know, as I look around the group this morning, some of you as you're pushing into your 70s and maybe getting close to your 80s, are you ready to have another child at this point in time in your life? I I didn't think so, but Abram hadn't had any at this point in time, and he needed an heir. He needed an extension not only to be able to give his inheritance and pass it on, but even more than that, to be able to give his name and to pass it on to the next generations. And he says, I don't have any descendants at this point in time. And in verse 4, it says that, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one, this Eleazar of Damascus, is not going to be your heir, but one will come to you from your own body, and that shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heaven, and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now, that's pretty miraculous, If you, in, no matter what way that you look at it. Not only being the fact that he's about 86 years old, but being a man that God is speaking to him and says, you look at the heavens and you count the stars if you possibly can, and he's going to say, so shall your descendants be. What a blessing that God was going to give to him. Now, Abram could at that point started thinking, well, You know, is it by my works? Is it by my righteousness? Is it by my good duties that he's doing this? But it doesn't go that direction at all. He answers, it says in verse 6, he says, And he believed in the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him for righteousness. He believed the Lord in an impossible situation that could not be taken care of in any other manner. I just trust God in this. In your life, in my life, in the lives of believers the world over, that kind of faith gets God's attention. That kind of dependence God looks at and he honors. And in Abram's life, it says, because he believed in the Lord, it was accounted to him for righteousness. God looked at him and said, man, you are a man who is willing to trust me. And everything that you have. A little bit later, the story goes that even as that child of his own flesh is born, when Isaac is born, God pushes him to the test one more time and says, I want you to give your son, your only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice to me. And from the word that we receive and how we read it, man, there is no hesitation in Abraham's life at that point in time. That vision comes at night the next morning. Boom, he's up and he's gone because he's a man of faith. And God is honoring that in his life. Because of this, where we're at in 15, says that it was accounted to him for righteousness. In verse 7, it says, And then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans. To give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And the Lord said to him, bring me three-year-old heifer, three-year-old female goat, 
a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these to him, and he cut them in two, down the middle, and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And the vultures came down on the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, what he did was something that was not uncommon in that Middle Eastern culture. Whenever they would make a a covenant relationship. This isn't just a, a gentleman's handshake. This isn't a, a contract like you and I know, but this is a covenant relationship. They would take these animals and literally split them right in two, place half of that young calf over here, the other half over here, half of that young goat over here, the other half over here. And together, those who were making that covenant relationship would walk down in between those slain animals and say, Thus shall the Lord do to either of us who break this covenant. And so God is preparing there for this covenant relationship with he and Abraham. Now it says that as the sun began to set, that a great darkness came and fear came over Abram. Beloved, I want to share this with you too because I think that the Word speaks of this. When God is ready and able and desiring to do a great work in your life, the enemy is going to throw every bit of fear that he can into your life. He's going to bring perhaps even a darkness. And you know what darkness is? Darkness is a time where I can't see. And sometimes, even when God is preparing to do a great thing in our life, we might say, you know, I'm not even hearing from God anymore. My my prayers don't seem like they're going beyond the ceiling. I haven't heard that still, small voice of God. I don't sense even His presence. But as you continue to press on into God, as you continue to trust Him, God is going to be working, I believe, even a greater work in our lives. But the enemy is trying to stumble that up and trying to short-circuit that. Because of the darkness, because of the fear that was in Abram's life, and he's out there taking care of these dead animals, making sure that the vultures don't come, he could have bolted at that time. But he stayed there, and he stayed focused on what God was doing. And the best thing you can do is when the silence comes in your life, in your relationship with God, is to fall back on the last thing you heard and continue to do that. What God has spoken, Abram, set these animals out, stay there. Okay, I'm going to stay there. But Lord, it's getting dark. And Lord, I'm getting fearful at this point in time. It says even that this great darkness came upon him. The Lord said to Abram in verse 13, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and will serve them. And they will afflict them 400 years. He's speaking of, the again, the Egyptian bondage. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. Remember how they came out of Egypt? And, man, they had the gold and the jewelry of the Egyptians as they came. He said in verse 15, Now as for you, you shall go out to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, they'll return here. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Then verse 17 says, And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between these 
pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, the Nile River, to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. It says it, it came to pass when the sun came down, it was dark. This burning oven came and a torch came. And so what the normal aspect of that covenant relation would be is where both members of the covenant would walk between the animals. Who walked between the animals? It wasn't Abram at all. It was God. God made the covenant with Abram. This wasn't a deal of, this is what we agree to together. No, this was a deal that God said to Abram, I will do this for you. And beloved, that's what our relationship is with Jesus Christ. God has made a covenant with us, and it is dependent upon His Word. And I don't know about you, but I believe that His Word will remain true. He does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I can trust His Word. The covenant was made by God to you and I in the same way that it was made to Abram. That's why Paul now in the book of Romans can pull all the way back to that relationship and say that's the same kind of relationship that you and I have with God. That God is covenanting with us and saying, I will bless you. I will be your God. It's an interesting aspect in all of this. God told him how much I will bless you. He says to your descendants, I'll give this land all the way from the Nile to the Euphrates. And all of these people I will give to you. And you will literally rule over this land. When was the last time you looked at a map of Israel? How far short are they? They're very short being able to obtain the very promises of God. And why don't they obtain the promises of God? Same reason you and I don't obtain the promises of God. Because of disobedience in their life. And beloved, that's the thing that I want you to see this morning also. Number one, Abraham believed God. It wasn't a work that got him salvation. It wasn't a work that stamped him as righteous. It was faith. It was belief. It was trust. And for all of you, for all of us together, it's that same way. It's that same opportunity that we have. It's a work of faith. But after that step of faith comes the reality of a life that's lived in obedience in order that we might obtain and really see the promises of God in our life. Where's the short change for each of you, for each of us? If God has promised so much, And you and your life are struggling so much. Is it because of disobedience? Is it because of lack of faith on your part? Or could it be simply one of those dark seasons, those dark times, that in the midst of that, we simply wait upon God and still believe and still trust? How long is the dark time in your life? That's probably the... uh, $64,000 $64,000 question right there. I wish I could say for some, 
it's days. For some, it's weeks. For some, it's years. What God is working and doing in your life is not the same thing that he's working and doing in another's life. And what God is working and doing in this family is different than what he's doing in this family. The thing is, but we are all called to faith and to trust and just rest in the Lord. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio, or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.